Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And we are in chapters 20 and 21 of St. Matthew today. And we're going to look at some various parables that Jesus teaches that very often it kind of uh, misses our attention. We're going to look at a parable of two groups of workers, another parable of two different sons, and a third parable about two tenants. But before we can begin to understand these three different accounts, we need to get in our minds a basic outline of world history. And don't, don't be worried, this is going to be very simple. But there's a surprising outline to world history that Jesus is giving hints of in these three parables. And when you look at world history, by the way, a lot of times even Christian timelines of world history kind of get it upside down because the primary timeline, it'll show the various historical events, the rise and fall of different empires and wars and such, and then they'll have a line, and underneath they'll have the history of the Jews and then Christian history through the centuries and such. Actually, that's reversed. Uh, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That means he's the very beginning and he's the end of history. And a good way to remember history, very simpler, it's his story. It's not the secular story is the minor key. The major key is the history of redemption. And I'm going to give it to you, the history of redemption. We have the creation of the world, and then redemption, we find the situation we find ourselves in. I call it Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. That's the fall into original sin and all the empires, all the new world orders, all the utopias simply end in disasters. But God had a plan to do what all the king soldiers couldn't do, and that leads us to number two, a real big major event in the history of mankind is when God made a covenant with Abraham. And I'm usually suggest we keep in our minds around 2000 BC. Now, some people will say, well, I might have been like 150 years earlier or something or later. Uh, people aren't going to remember that. Just remember 2000 BC is a good rough date for God's covenant with Abraham. And through that covenant, God said to Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. And then you move through the Old Testament, there is a progression in fulfilling that covenant. Something almost the opposite seems to happen with the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel. It was more or less a national covenant. It was a covenant with one nation. Now remember, just before Abraham, it was a covenant for all nations to be included in God's plan, but God narrowed it down. Why did he do that? Well, he tried to separate the Jews through a lot of their religious practices from the Gentiles because they were filled with idolatry and immoral practices, and he was trying to keep his people 
pure from Gentile contamination, so to speak, until it was time to redeem them. But that didn't work. And so Jesus came as the faithful Jew. And then step three of world history, we have the new covenant that Jesus came in the first century and established. And the big switch, and this is, brings us to these two chapters today, the separation that happened between particularly the covenant with Moses and the children of Israel and the rest of the world is now ended. That has reached its fulfillment in Christ, and now we are into the fulfillment stage where both Jew and Gentile, all nations of the world, will be united in fulfillment in the covenant with Abraham, Jew and Gentile. But there's a big but. How stage three finds fulfillment has everyone's head spinning. And that's exactly what these passages are. Jesus is trying to get us ready for what's going to happen. And it really was very difficult for both Jews and Gentiles to figure out what was happening in the world. The first parable, the one in Matthew chapter 20, about the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And it initially, it seems like, you know, this is a really weird employer. Now, God's the employer, and his vineyard is his, is his world, his people. But he sends workers out, first of all, early in the morning. He says, you know, I'll pay you your daily pay for a hired laborer. Okay. But then at nine o'clock, he goes and hires another group. And he says, go work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you at the end of the day. Okay. Then at noon, he goes and and uh, recruits a third group to come out and work in my vineyard. All right. Then at 3 p.m., getting near the end of the day, a fourth group, come out and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you, okay? And then finally, the 11th hour, which back then is 5 p.m., there's only one hour left for work, and he says, you go out and work too. So you have these five different groups, One's early in the morning and one coming at the 11th hour. And weird pay scale because when it came time for payday, they would pay a day laborer at the end of the day. They all got paid exactly the same. The ones that came at 3 o'clock and 5 p.m. got paid the same as those who started probably around 6 in the morning. And I, what's going on here? This, this doesn't seem fair. And it's not trying to teach how... Uh, Christian employers are to pay their employees. That's, that's not at all what's going on here. Uh, the Navarre Bible, which is a Catholic study Bible, has a good summary of this. And the reason I'm just going to read this sentence for you is to see what you could find out by yourself, because just at first glance, this just seems odd. And you just kind of put it aside and not recognize its value. And here's what the Navarre Bible says. This parable is addressed to the Jewish people whom God called at an early hour centuries ago. That's Abraham, 2000 BC, and through Moses uh, several centuries later. Now the Gentiles are also being called with an equal right to form part of the new people of God, the church. In both cases, it is a matter of gratuitous, unmerited invitation. And the key words like, in the call to the laborers, 
He says, call the laborers, verse 8, beginning with the last up to the first. And then the first came, the next verse, verse 10, and it says they thought they would receive more. They didn't. And these last workers only worked one hour and are kind of complaining. And then Jesus summarizes the parable saying the last will be first and the first last. And so after this stage two separation, it was very difficult for Jews particularly to conceive of any other arrangement. And hang on, because we're going someplace with this, even in contemporary world, because there's the same problem going on today of a lack of perception of what is happening in the overall picture of world history. Most Christians have a very foggy notion of this, and it's the same problem that the first century dealt with, but it's reversed today. And what was going on, who were the last ones to come? Who, who were the ones that come at the 11th hour? That was the Gentiles. And by the time Jesus came, uh, Gentiles were outsiders, or if they joined the Jewish faith, they could become included, but it wasn't like they would be accepted just being a Gentile. And now in the new covenant, um, the last will be first. And other than the first few decades of the Christian church, it switched from a predominantly Jewish group to a very expansive Gentile group by many, if not most, totally unexpected. In fact, probably the most surprise, shocked person in this was the person most responsible for the Gentile mission, St. Paul himself. But before he became St. Paul the evangelist, he was St. Paul the murderer. He wanted to murder Christians who were uh, trying to, Jewish Christians, trying to spread the gospel to Gentiles. No, Judaism couldn't go to the Gentiles. This is, it's separate. And he knew this was God's plan for that intermediate stage, stage two, but stage three had arrived and they're both the same. But the question being, what is gonna happen to the one that came first? They're gonna be included, but hang on a minute, we have a couple more parables to get through. The next parable, I'm gonna turn the page of my Bible to Matthew chapter 21, and there's a parable about two sons. The first was two groups of laborers working in a vineyard. Now in chapter 21, there are two sons working in a vineyard. And he said to the first son, go and work in a vineyard today. And he says, I will not. But afterwards, went and worked in his vineyard. Who's that? That's the Gentiles. At first, they had nothing to do with the faith of Abraham Isaac, Jacob, or Moses, okay? And then he went to the second son, and he says, go work in my vineyard. And he says, I will go, sir. But he ended up not doing what he said what he was going to do. When Moses presented the covenant to the children of Israel, they, they agreed to it. They said, we would do this, but they ended up in a state of unrighteousness when they were supposed to be the light to the world. So that second group now is not doing what they intended to do. And so we have a third parable, and that's also in Matthew chapter 21, 
and there's a parable of two groups. Uh, again, in God's vineyard, there are wicked tenants, and he's talking about the Jews. He goes, there is a householder who planted a vineyard and did everything right. You know, he planted a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and let it out to tenants and went to another country. When the season of fruit came, he sent his servants to the tenants. And, you know, it happens at the end of a stage. And who knows? We could be coming to the end of a stage even in our day. And there's a danger because God said he was sending servants to the tenants. These were to the Jewish people. And who are his servants? Well, I found at least 19 times in the Old Testament, God says or describes his servants are the prophets. He sends his servants the prophets. And unfortunately, the servants, the prophets, are almost guaranteed to get a hostile reception. They're going to reject the message. Why is that? Well, very often there's just like in our day, casual Christianity, uh, people who are professing to be Christians who are living their lives in every way but. And then you basically had in the Old Testament, casual Judaism. Sure, there were people who were very faithful in their Jewish faith, but others were a complete disaster. And that's what he's talking about, these wicked tenants. And so he would send his servants to prophets. And here's what Jeremiah, uh, one of the rejected servants, the prophets, he says this, from the day your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day, but they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. And this was an act of mercy to those who came first. And there's a danger that here it was practically 2,000 years. The Jews had been highly favored. And yet they weren't living according to faithfulness to the covenant. And God was going to bring judgment. And he, and he did within, what was it, 40 years of his ascension back into heaven. The whole temple and city of Jerusalem was destroyed. It was run over. And it's hard to imagine if you were a Jew at that time. You think, no, this is just going to go on forever. No, this was the end of a stage. And at the end of a stage, God will send a prophet. Like I'm thinking in our day, there's a bishop out in Texas by the name of Bishop Strickland. Uh, he's been sidelined because many people don't like to hear what he says. And he just loves the church and is trying to warn others not to <laughs> take deviating paths or trying to make the church conform to modern morality, which is modern immorality. And he's, he's just a faithful servant. Now, granted, it's hard to hear, but when you've gone for so long, like the Jews had gone for almost 2,000 years, and now we've almost gone for 2,000 years in, the, in, in stage three, 
and it's basically a Gentile thing, and like, what could possibly go wrong? Well, maybe Bishop Strickland should be listened to, uh, even though it's hard to hear. I'm thinking also of Marian apparitions. I'm not a, a private revelation expert by any means, but I do know that Mary seems very concerned with the way the world is living, and so she talks about repentance and warnings to the world and basically saying, change your ways or else. And uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting and fascinating, but that's not the point. These were calls to the tenants that weren't producing fruit in their lives or in their nations. And as a result, we're going to come to a very unglorious end. And so finally, the parable goes on and says, okay, they rejected the prophets. Afterward, they sent his son. And God the Father here is saying, well, they'll certainly respect my son. And when they saw the son, they said, this is the heir. Let us kill him and have his inheritance. And then basically the parable goes on and says, therefore, I'll tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. And I'm not talking about that uh, Jews were excluded at any time from the new covenant, but by and large, as a people, they excluded themselves. And meanwhile, very unexpectedly, the kingdom given to the Gentiles. Now, this is, this is rather important because what happened to the Jews, I said just a moment earlier, that history, in a sense, is repeating itself, but it's flipped. Now, uh, as Gentiles, we think, oh, well, well, what could possibly go wrong with the Catholic Church? We've been around since the days of Jesus. Well, if we're being warned um, by Scripture itself, by modern-day servants like Bishop Strickland or Marian apparitions or whoever saying we need to repent, we should take those warnings seriously and not just say, no, we've gone on for so long, it will always go on this long. And a lot of people are starting to wonder, you know, how long will this go on? And I don't know if you're aware, I do a companion broadcast called Luke 21. We try to explain biblical prophecy from a, a perspective of the historic church, the church fathers, the church councils, the popes, and such like that. And so because I deal with biblical prophecy, I have friends, family members, others wanting to ask me, is the end soon? It's like, well, first of all, um, according to Jesus, if anybody knows the time of the end, they're what's called a false prophet because nobody really does know the end. Jesus kind of guaranteed us of that. But still, you might say, well, is this the season? In other words, we're not trying to say dates and we're not even trying to say years or even decades, but are we entering a period of history where the end is soon? And well, people are concerned. Uh, there's just political divides. I mean, our country has one. It's kind of like I'm, I, I wasn't alive, obviously, but in the days leading up to the Civil War, we seem to be in a civil war with each other. We can disagree, but do we have to be in a civil war with each other? Our economies are basically built on debt. 
if you ended the U.S. debt, the whole U.S. economy would almost come to an end. Culturally, um, we're descending rather rapidly. I just think what's happened in the decades since the year 2000, it's unbelievable. Our educational systems are de-educating people. And then there's just outright insanity, like a bill recently passed in California that wants to take children away from parents where the parents don't agree for the children to have their body mutilated because they're transgender. I mean, what is going on? And then there's problems in the church. Yes, there are problems in the church. And don't be rocked. There's problems in the church if you read the pages of the New Testament. So you don't need to have a heart attack. But there are serious problems in the church. And the Germans are leading the way again. So people say the end must be soon. And all I am saying, based on the three parables we've just seen in Matthew 20 and 21, and a missing piece of the prophetic puzzle that people overlook. You see, the Jews in the first century overlooked the Gentiles. They couldn't even imagine it, really. And now, as we approach 2,000 years later, us Gentiles are often overlooking the Jews when it comes to the big prophetic picture of God's plan for redemption. And that missing piece of the prophetic puzzle you can find in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph or section 674. And by the way, if you want to know anything about public revelation and biblical prophecy, just those sections 668 to 677 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church take you maybe 10 minutes to read. You'll get the best education in biblical prophecy that I know of anywhere on this planet. And there's, and I'm not saying that because I don't think any Protestant does a good job in biblical prophecy. I know some scholars who follow St. Augustine as the Catholic Church does in its view of biblical prophecy who do very fine work. I've never come across a more succinct and clear explanation and summary of biblical prophecy. And this one paragraph, 674, is the missing piece. You say, well, is the end soon? It could be soon. I don't know. It could be a while, but this has to happen. 674 of the Catechism. The glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all Israel. For a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief toward Jesus. St. Paul echoes Jesus, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, in other words, the first kind of fall away uh, for a time in part, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And then it says, the full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation, something that Gentile Christians after 2,000 years like, what are you talking about? Yeah, what are we talking about? We're talking about the first. If you're a Gentile Catholic or Protestant listening to me, you are the last, okay? You're the uh, 5 p.m. workers, the 6 a.m. workers are the Jews. They've been here since the beginning of the plan of redemption put into action. It shouldn't be a shock. 
says the full inclusion of the Jews and the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of Gentiles. Now, in the wake, I've done a lot of boating in my life. I've also been in the Navy, and the wake means you look behind the stern of the boat. It's something happens, and then the Jews come in. And the footnotes for that that um, citation, it says the full inclusion of the Jews in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles. Footnote number 572. It's important to pay attention to the footnotes in these catechism sections. It references Romans 11, which talks about the Jews and the Gentiles finally being grafted together, those two groups that were promised to Abraham, separated in phase two, joined in phase three. At the end of phase three, the Jews come in, and the reference for that besides Romans 11 is Luke 21. It's one of the reasons we have Luke 21 radio, and it says this, Luke 21, 24, the footnote in the catechism says they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Stage one was the first. And then stage two, where the two are joined together, or actually I called it stage three, where the two are joined together, the first in are the Gentiles. In the wake of the Gentiles comes the Jews, and Jerusalem be trodden down until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, it seems to me that it's rather significant that in the afternoon of June 7, 1967, during the Six-Day War, the Jews captured the city of Jerusalem, the full city of Jerusalem, for the first time in 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. Okay, It fell in 70 A.D., and they reclaimed it June 7, 1967. It gives me kind of goosebumps. You can go to YouTube and just look at, it's day three of the Six-Day War, 1967. The Israeli troops entering Jerusalem, and you see those soldiers going up to the Wailing Wall and liberating it. You know, something could happen, very unexpected. Something happened in the first century. The Gentiles came in. The last were first. But something in the last century will happen very unexpected, will be a revival of the Jews that will make every head spin. And everybody thinks, well, we've all got this settled. We're just going to be like this till Christ comes back. No, there's going to be a very unexpected, comprehensive, powerful, life-changing, world-changing revival among the Jewish people. And that's going to be an exciting thing to see. Pray for the Jews' conversion. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 458 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.